That is Tyrone Davis. The track entitled, Is It Something You've Got? And this is podcast number 324, entitled, Apparently She Thought Not. Tyrone Davis and the End of the World. Now, that song, um, which was recorded like almost all, though not all, of Tyrone Davis's um, hits and tracks, was recorded in the late 60s, early 1970s, and included the top five songs, which we all remember from then, Turn Back the Hands of Time, and also Can I Change My Mind. And uh, Tyrone Davis is going to tell us something, teach us something interesting about the nature of life and reality, especially in difficult times, because I believe we are in, in fact, uniquely difficult times. Now, um, if it had been a year ago, politically, I might have seen things uh, spoken about the difficulties of our time in different terms than I would speak about it now. And it doesn't really matter whether I'm a Burkean conservative or a socially progressive uh, liberal or in the middle or either or both. Uh, I have my definite convictions, but I don't think anyone listening to this podcast would um, not uh, intuit or empirically verify the fact that the world is in a terrible way right now. Everything from um, Afghan refugees and collapses uh, and Taliban um, victories uh, and border crises and uh, many, many other very serious matters that will, in fact, and are, in fact, impacting everyone. And I haven't even mentioned the biggest one of all, probably, ultimately, in terms of disturbance and interventions of troubling uh, contingency, which is the pandemic, which is really not over, although it's over in certain ways. It isn't over. I still carry a mask everywhere I go, two in each, one in each pocket. Um, and that's just the way we are in a um, kind of cobweb, to quote a Vincent Minnelli movie from the late 40s with Richard Widmark and some other wonderful actresses. Um, we're in a kind of cobweb of uh, 
deeply disturbing opposition to what is fruitful, happy, and um, unifying. But um, what I have felt as I have been listening to Tyrone Davis, whom I have always loved and I love more than ever, is the option of humor. And I want to talk about humor, not in a, you know, you may think, well, he's just saying, uh, you know, forget troubles. You know, what is it? Pack up your troubles in an old uh, kit bag and uh, smile, smile, smile. You know, um, am I really just sort of denying the onerous uh, difficulty of life, which is really there and is going to get worse in certain ways, definitely worse in this country at least. <clears throat> and um, is it just kind of form of denial? Not really. It has more to do with kind of a he who will save his life will lose his life or he who would save his life will lose it and he who would lose his life will save it because there's something about humor that ties in to a kind of... Uh, properly devil-may-care apathy towards this world's uh, goods in favor of uh, real confidence in something far bigger, far larger, and far more enduring, which is the new life uh, as we believe it in Christ, uh, the Christian path and the Christian being and the Christian healing and the Christian hope. But um, in order to get there, I find humor is helpful, and I want to talk a little bit about it. Not, again, as a form of denial or a form of kind of absurdism, but really it is a little bit absurd, but that's the fun of it. But I do want to talk about the power of humor in, um, uh, what do I want to say, resourcing, as the English use the noun as a verb, resourcing our proper detachment from the things of this world in favor of a uh, God-directed reality that is ultimately the case and gives us enormous comfort, at least to Christians, and I want to talk about that. Now, um, humor. Tyrone Davis, this song is entitled, Is It Something That You've Got? And it has this incredible line that's repeated four times during the um, song itself. Um, I thought I was such a big man, but apparently she thought not. Now, if that's not the most... um, if that's not a unique moment in the history of uh, soul music, apparently she thought not. I don't know. I mean, just sing it. Just listen to how he, how it sounds. Just just listen to it. But apparently she thought not. I mean, there's something so wonderful about that. I have a feeling. And then when you actually analyze the song, I've spent hours studying this song. <clears throat> hours studying this song. And that's a shout out to my friend Derek Nelson from City of Destiny. Um, and uh, in this song... <clears throat> It appears that the singer um, is uh, trying to get back to the woman he was with before, before he left to uh, another woman. He left this woman and made a mistake, and he thought he was just hot, whatever it is, lead or molten lead, and he went to somebody else. Um, And he thought he was this big man, but apparently she thought not. So he's now going back to his previous girlfriend, sort of um, trying to win her back. But he keeps saying, uh, is it something that she's got? Now, you would never go back to a previous flame and talking to her about something that the competition, that the woman for whom you had left the previous flame, something you, she got. You would never do that. But so I listen to this, and is he talking to you? Is the you, who is the you and who is the she? He seems to be talking to the woman he wants to to um, take him back. But he keeps talking about a she who has something that she's got, and uh, he sort of labored under misconception about his own attractiveness to the other woman. Now, is that um, 
Is any of that designed really to win the affections of the woman whom you want to take you back? I mean, what I think probably happened is that somebody wrote out a song and who knew whatever the song lyrics were intending, the story, and just gave them to Tyrone Davis, who was a wonderful singer. I think he was originally in the church, like most African-American soul singers. Not all, but most. And... Um, um, there's a wonderful CD, by the way, of uh, original um, gospel music from Wilson Pickett and Sam Cooke uh, and, oh, three or four other major soul singers before they became soul singers. And it's very touching. Uh, early, early Otis uh, uh, um, Wilson Pickett. But anyway, um, I think probably someone gave him a sheet of lyrics and they just said, Tyrone, sing this, and we'll arrange some brass and some rhythm guitars and bass line and drums around it. And I think he probably just sang what was in front of him because the pronouns are impossible to make out. Now, you may say, my gosh, Paul, what? <clears throat> are you kidding? You spent hours and hours trying to parse Tyrone uh, Davis's <clears throat> lyrics in a second, uh, in a, in a non-front-rank Tyrone Davis track? Well, yes. The answer is yes. Whether you like that or not, that is true. Ever since I heard that song, I've been puzzling. I will go out on a walk, you know, or one of my um, attempts to keep my heart going and do exercise, and I'm constantly asking myself, to whom is Tyrone Davis referring? Is it a three-way conversation? Or a two-way conversation? Or is it a two-way conversation that includes references to a third party but that seem unwise to me? Well, um, the thing is just very funny. Apparently she thought not. And I'm trying to say to you that you really um, need to think about Tyrone Davis. You've got to find the Tyrone Davis in your life. You have to find something. You know who's really good at this is Jim McNeely. He knows about this thing backwards and forwards. You need to um, find uh, something that is... uh, that um, creates for you the solid resourcing of the absurd, which kind of feeds you when you have to give the contingency of everyday life and this fallen world. Someone, I think Paula was saying the other day, Pastor Paula, uh, this a sin-stricken world. This world is sin-stricken. An old-fashioned phrase, but it was so refreshing to hear Paula talk about a sin-stricken world, because it is. And the way to deal with it, uh, at this point, I can't, you know, if I read what's going on in Australia, which is to me a form of um, almost um, a a truly neurotic uh, breakdown that is affecting people's lives directly, Um, a form of kind of group um, uh, mental breakdown. That's my view. They don't think of it that way. But you read these things and you say, how can we ever, or what happened in Afghanistan or whatever, and you say, or the fact that these things will affect us right here where I'm sitting and where you're sitting. Um, we will wake up one day and there will be effects that are direct upon our uh, those who follow us and even ourselves in our older age. But the point is, you, you've got to get some kind of measure of delight in the absurdity of life. You've got to get some some delight. Where is your absurdity? I was talking to uh, someone I love very much and, I mean, I care for. Don't worry, nobody is listening to the podcast and no one who would, but... <clears throat> This gal was, um, I was talking to her about something like this, but in a 
very broad kind of way. And uh, I, 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 I was so sorry. She was completely humorless. I mean, it wasn't just Tyrone Davis. I couldn't get, I couldn't, I, she was so in the boxing ring of this world's concerns relevant to her own life, which has big challenges and little children and this, that, and the other thing. And uh, there was just, uh, there was zero sense of humor. And uh, it was really uh, um, striking. It, a lovely, lovely human being, but n- n- no humor. I mean, and I thought to myself, gosh, if I were sitting psychically where she is sitting or standing, I would, I would, be, I would find life, and feeling as I do about this, that, or the other thing, I would find life almost unbearable. Uh, inwardly, not just circumstantially. So for me, at least, uh, you need, I, I want to say, find an object of delightful absurdity, and it'll vary. Everybody here will have a different one. But find one, something that you can really laugh at, because that will put uh, the boxing ring, that is taking life on its own terms, which it's not meant to, God did not mean us to take life on its own terms. Life on its own terms is the world, the flesh, and the devil, and we've never seen that more with everything from the COVID to um foreign policy to domestic policy uh, and you know it's amazing so find something now let me give you some examples i mean for me uh ufos have always been something that but but i, I want to say something about this i often talk about ufos and people don't quite understand maybe it's just me but they don't quite understand why i find ufos so delightful i really don't believe in them i mean from a scientific point of view i honestly don't and there are people who very 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 markedly do and some very wonderful people believe in, and I really don't, but nor am I dear bunker. What I love is uh, Japanese uh, monster movies from the late 50s and early 60s, of which there were more than one with wonderful UFOs and uh, space aliens. The most particular one is 1961, Earth versus the Flying Saucer, as directed by Inoshiro Honda, who directed almost all of the really good Japanese Toho Studios monster movies. And I mean, you can't see that movie at age 10 without being totally converted to the coolness of UFOs. I mean, I was um, uh, having a little correspondence with Joe Dante, whom I admire so much, and I was sending him a little photograph of me showing scenes from The Crawling Eye, which is 1959, when alien crawling eyes uh, in the Swiss Alps, believe it or not, um, attack a kind of uh, weather station and also a uh, kind of ski resort. Um in, and I saw that movie when I was um, nine years old, and it had a permanent impact. And he, he his only reaction to seeing me showing uh, the last part of it on the phone that I had, he said, they won't see the wires. Now, what a wonderful thing to say. They won't see the wires. Because if you see the crawling eye in a movie theater, as one did, or even on a large screen TV, you'll see a lot of wires. And that's the funny part of it. The crawling eyes filled with what they just didn't have special effects at that time or the money to create the special effects or at that time the technology to create special effects until 2001 in 1968. That didn't show wires. So it's very funny when you think about it. And when you see the mother ship in Earth versus the Flying Saucers from Toho Studio, you will just die. It is so cool. And the aliens that looked like little sort of chimpanzees, but in um, stormtrooper suits, but have speak in the funniest language. And they were obviously kids, the children that they dressed up in these things that you can't see the person inside the stormtrooper suit with the sort of chimpanzee uh, thing. It is just so cool. So um, for me, um, uh, and I was almost abducted, as I've told you before, uh, with John Zoll in Scarborough, New York, once on the golf course there, the Sleepy Hollow Golf Course. But um, 
UFOs for me functioned, have always functioned as a kind of uh, benchmark, an anchor of absurdity, uh, coupled with real hope. I mean, it's not... So you see, the irony of it, it's not just that it's a straw man or that I've suddenly chosen. I've loved UFOs since I was little, and I really do hope they exist, although I don't think they do, Uh, except maybe, well, maybe, maybe. But it's so cool. And then when you saw, you know, we loved Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1978, but it was a little religious. I felt that they had slightly conflated Steven Spielberg's love of Pinocchio and When You Wish Upon the Star and Walt Disney with really good um, special effects. And it is extremely cool. But is it, you know, is it true? Well, it's a little bit of both. Now, what about you, Um, your sense of the absurdity? Why do I focus on this? Because when you have something that is cool, that is funny, that is imaginative, and is completely out of the humdrum and every day, that will serve you. Um, it will be like a little um, uh, bit of uranium, you know, that's always in your pocket, uh, but of the good kind, or kryptonite. Maybe that's not the wrong analogy, but something that is constantly giving off light. Uh, you know, sometimes your cell phone mistakenly, you hit the wrong button and the flashlight goes on. I mean, I've often had somebody says, what happened? You've got a light coming out of your pocket. Well, that's really what I'm talking about. The absurdity of whatever it is that delights you um, is probably can be used by God in your life to sort of see the fatuousness of really everything. Because when you um, get to the point of dying, and I've been there, I, I now can say, as many of you will be able to say, and probably can already, you've been right at the cliff edge. Pretty near. Not at the exact cliff edge. That would probably be an overstatement. Pretty near. And even the other day, I had an anomalous uh, extra symptom of something related to the heart, but not the thing that had gotten me in the hospital in the first place. And um, I was, I realized that, you know, my emotional attachment or interest in almost everything, with the exception of a few persons, has disappeared. I'm really, really, I mean, I still have some, you know, some long-term resentment over being treated certain ways or way by the church, you know, or by this or that institution or this or that person in power or authority over me who treated me unjustly. And there are some real cases of that. I have some real hurts that I nurse. But with those, that exception, and obviously Mary and our children and grandchildren, and one or two other things, um, my interest in just about everything in the boxing ring of life really has shifted. There's been what uh, Paula White calls a shift. And I'm really quite unattached to many things. Not enough. <laughs> I'd like to be more disattached, but definitely more than I was just six months ago. Considerably more, because I, I know it. I feel it. I walk around feeling like the guy in the book I wrote, remember uh, the guy, I think it was called the uh, PZ's Panopticon of the chap who's died or is having the near-death experience on the operating table, and he finds himself floating uh, on the ceiling of the operating room, looking down at himself, dying, and he sort of has about a minute or two to collect himself and look at everything that he's ever been part of. Well, there we are. Um, I feel a little bit like that, with a few exceptions. So I need, I'm delighted when I hear Tyrone Davis singing, um, I thought I was a big man, but apparently she thought not. This gives me delight, hope, and joy. So I'm going to end this little cast on, uh, you might call it uh, the laughter that saves the day or, um, you know, um, humor in uniform. I'd like the uniform of human strickenness. I'd like to uh, uh, conclude with a 
to me, absolutely delightfully insincere song by our very same man, Tyrone Davis. Love you. Please fasten your seatbelts and observe the no smoking signal until you are inside the terminal. Thank you. Hello, huh? Yes, this is Tyrone. Now please, don't hang up the phone. You see, I came all the way back here just to say to you, baby, I'm so sorry. And if my loving mean anything at all to you, I just want to tell you I've changed. I mean, I'm a brand new me. Oh, baby, yeah, I'm ready to crawl. You see, I don't know what it is you got, but whatever it is, without it, I'm a lonely man. You see, baby, ever since I've been away, I had a lot of time to thank you. A lot of time to reminisce about all the good things about you. Oh, yeah, I had a date or two, but what do that mean? You know, they could never take the place of you. And you see, baby, what I was trying to find, I had it in you all the time. Well, baby, listen, I'm going to say goodbye, but not for long. Just for the time, it'll take a cab to get me home. Let me know what I've been trying to find. 